Good day and welcome to the Tech Central podcast. My name's Daniel Robus. I'll be your host today as we talk things AI with our guest from IBM, Phil Anderson, Business Transformation Services Lead, Southern Africa. I believe you're coming to us from far-flung George. I am, yeah. I'm lucky enough, took advantage of the pandemic to move down to this part of the world. So I come up to and, and commute to Joburg as I, as I need to. But yeah, the, we decided that uh, the weekend should be spent living our best life. Oh, so, so we got away from Joburg. Work from anywhere is now just a prerequisite to this balance that we're looking at because work from any time seems to have been pervasive. And I think you're talking to that we can be effective from anywhere. Our geography doesn't have to dictate uh, where we can do our jobs from, Phil. But you have come a long road to end up in George. Where did you come from, Phil, and how did you end up at IBM? So, yeah, I'm originally from a small town in the northeast of England called Sunderland, which nobody's ever heard of. So I always have to say it's near Newcastle. Great uh, rugby great rugby part of the world, though, isn't it? Oh, no, we don't play rugby. That's, that, 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 that was too posh for us. Too posh for us. No, we were football. Football all the way. Which, and, which in South Africa is called soccer. You know, we are by birth, so we don't, we don't get the choice to not be, right? There's not enough people in Sunderland for even one of us to not support the team. So, yeah, un- unfortunately, I am. I am indeed. So you've watched the, the Leicester City journey from rocketing through the first division into winning. Do you think we'll get another story like that in our lifetime, or was that a one-sort? Well, we all said it was never going to happen with someone like Leicester, didn't we? And, and it really can. And it does happen in sport, right? It's like business. If you can find the right mix of people, capabilities, skills, sometimes the amount of money you've got doesn't matter Mm. so much, right? So, you know, and the right coach. I mean, we saw it in Formula One when Jensen Button won the world championship with Braun. A series of events, the right people, the right skills, the right to get a a flawless execution, right? And so it's not always about the amount of money you've got. It's yeah. about how you use it, right? And Leicester did that very, very well, right? I can't see that in Sunderland's future, unfortunately. <laughs> By nature, we are extreme pessimists about okay. our own football team. So our expectation is usually relegation, and then anything above that's a bonus. So, Come on, set your expectations yeah. low, and you never let exactly. down. That's what we're saying. But now you left Sunderland behind. When did you leave there, and when did you come across to South Africa? So, yeah, I spent the first kind of, you know, I went to university in Liverpool, which was a great city, great town. Great tick uh, off you. That's a good city, man. Well, we had Everton season tickets because they were a lot cheaper than Liverpool. So <laughs> uh, it was about a quarter of the price of Liverpool. That was where all the, the rich people were. So, yeah, so I went to university there, started, you know, fell into IT somewhat, right, and started working for a kind of Europe-wide systems integrator, IBM came knocking in about 2008, and my ambition was to travel the world with IBM, which is great, which is where I have ended up. That didn't materialize immediately. I spent the first sort of four or five years of my IBM career in Swindon, near London. Also uh, an epicenter of culture and work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Swindon and Sunderland, not so much difference. But, uh, but yeah, so I just really enjoyed working for IBM. We were doing, I was doing core banking transformation at the time and transforming that function's QA function as well for a couple of years as an interim. And, you know, it was really, I learned a hell of a lot, you know, really exciting yeah. projects. And then the opportunity came up in IBM to go and work in Saudi. 
Saudi Arabia for about a nine-month project, mentoring delivery leaders in one of the major banks there to help improve how they deliver technology into the business. So, you know, a lot of coaching, mentoring and training. Saudi, fascinating country, really loved it. And then IBM asked me if I would like to move to Dubai. So I then moved my life to Dubai, spent three years there working on a lot of digital transformation work. So a lot of looking at, you know, I mean, Dubai is a fascinating place. It, it, yeah. The pace of it is so quick, yeah. you know, and, you know, often even the public sector move faster than the private sector there. Working in yeah. the banking industry there, running a full outsource we had at the time, doing digital transformation, you know, really giving myself some great experiences. And then six years ago, they said, well, I'd done a bit of consulting work with one of the banks down here and been down a few times. And they said, do you fancy spending a year in South Africa to go and help banking clients and do similar stuff to what you've been doing? I said, okay, cool. So, you know, and here you are. And six years later, yeah, I am still here and now a permanent resident and absolutely adore this country. I think it's exciting. I think it's dynamic. I'm a nature lover, landscape photographer in my spare time and it's got everything. I know a lot of people emigrate from here to the UK and I'm like, why would what? you want to do that? I just got to awesome. pause you there. You've just made my day. And I think sometimes we get lost in the noise and we forget about what an amazing country this is. You do live in a beautiful town at the moment in Georgia and you get to work with these amazing clients from an IBM perspective. So you have taken the best of it. But Come on, you just made my podcast. Thank you, Phil. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. But that. even, I mean, even Joburg, right? It's mm. such a dynamic place, right? The hustle and bustle in that city. You know, people really, I mean, entrepreneurship and innovation, you see all the time. You see it on the streets, yeah. right? You see it yeah. everywhere. And it's just this attitude that people have got of, of wanting to better themselves and wanting to drive, wanting to create things for their family, wanting to create new legacies. It's, it's a really exciting place to be. So although I'm based in George, I still really like my trips up to Joburg because I got um, back into the hustle and bustle, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And Phil, what do you do? What does the business transformation department do from an IBM perspective? Essentially, IBM Consulting is split into two pillars. So there's my side, business transformation services, and there's our hybrid cloud services unit. And hybrid cloud services really help organizations from the platform side how do you do that journey to cloud how do you migrate what's the most sensible way to do it how do you not blow your entire it budget for the year in three months by spinning up too many environments and all of that good stuff so you know really we work with all of the major hyperscalers aws and microsoft we're huge partnerships with those organizations i lead the business transformation side Part of the business, which is really a, a, you know, I don't like to think of it as a technology unit. Okay. It's how do you deliver better business results using all the different emerging technologies and current technologies are out there, right? Okay. So I have teams that specialize in robotics, AI and data, blockchain, a Salesforce, you know, very, very strong business for us, you know, other marketing products like Adobe, like Unica. So it really is a broad spread of technologies. But, you know, okay. the starting point is never what tech are you choosing, right? Yeah. You, you, yeah. The, the starting point is really design. 
So okay. I also own the customer experience and design part as part of that business with our, our wonderful design studio in Brown Conti, which we must get you to must get you to visit at one point. I'd love to do that. I, yeah. I would really enjoy that. You've said the starting point is the design, where I took a note there and saying starting point is the business problem where we're going to be designing around that and getting to the root cause of this problem. Do you find the local companies, and when I'm saying local, I'm sub-Saharan companies, are mature enough to identify the root cause of these problems themselves? Or are you still playing a guidance role in getting to root cause analysis at this stage? I think maturity differs on the scale everywhere. And actually, even from a Dubai experience, from my European experience, South Africa is not as far behind as sometimes where we think, right? So my enterprise clients are very mature, right? And they're past the point of the basics and now they're looking for an edge, right? And we can kind of bring both, right? So, you know, but the, it, it, you know, I, I would I would say that, you know, either mature enough to get to the root cause was the second part of your question, right? I think it's more about going into these emerging technologies and these new technologies with your eyes wide open okay. as to what are the risks that you're going to incur in the business alongside the benefits. What I see an awful lot in the consulting industry is a massive, massive focus on here's all of the benefits, right? And here's all of the size of the price and all of those sort of pieces. And very few people are really upfront about actually what are the risks you're going to face. And I think if you just go back to basic project management, right, quality of delivery of a project, right, is being able to identify, accept and deal and mitigate all your risks upfront. And I think with the emerging technology, the pace of technology right now, that's really where we're spending a lot of time helping clients, right? Yeah. Uh, don't just understand the upside. I mean, the upside is there. We've seen it in so many clients, right? of yeah. how techniques like AI, blockchain, et cetera, et cetera, can transform the business. Yeah. But you've also got to be very cognizant of the risks and manage those through the innovation cycle. It sounds like a constant in your toolbox is project management and clear communication. If you had to say the, the difference that you bring to a customer in your own role, Phil Anderson, what is that toolbox that you bring going forward? Yeah, so we have a very evolved method called IBM Garage. Okay. Right. Well, I'm, I'm from the north of the east of England, so it would be IBM Garage Yeah. Uh, rather than Garage. Garage is how the southern is. But you've uh, localized and, so well. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But that is a very, very powerful method. It's iterative, right, as all methods are. It uses agile, DevOps, all of those things at its core, right? And it really is about, I, I would say, Daniel, the biggest biggest part for me is for project implementations and really how my perspective changed over the last, I would say, six, seven, eight years. You know, I used to be right in the middle of big, heavy waterfall systems integration projects, right? And I was kind of born and brought up that way. But really, a lot of those projects don't succeed, right? And they don't meet their business goals and they don't deliver value quick enough, right? Mm. So being able to use a method like Garage to bring all of the stakeholders into one place, being able to align everybody that everything is about business value and business delivery. And then the old cliche of eat the elephant one bite at a time, right? I would say most projects that I see that kick off lack the proof points up front to really be able to say this is something that's going to be worth scaling, okay. right? And, and, you know, it's, it's the same, in, you know, in the AI and data industry particularly, right? An awful lot of money has been gone and spent on big data lakes, big data reservoirs, collating the data, making sure all the data is in one place. That's all great. That's all awesome. 
but you've got to know what to do with it then. Yeah. Right. So you've yeah. got to choose your battles. You've got to choose your use cases. You've got to know where the biggest value is for the business. Right. So it's really helping clients along that journey as to how they realize value. And, and you know, our, our, our garage method, and it's all available online, right? You can go and type in IBM garage and you will find very clear descriptions of that method. Outstanding. I really like that. Yeah. What do you wish your younger self knew about your current role before you arrived here? Oh, that's a good question. Right. What do, what do I wish my younger self knew about my current role? I think like everybody, you know, your perspective on leadership changes as you go through your career, right? And I'm a business coach as well. So I studied at Gibbs and I do business coaching, you know, within IBM, I'm IBM certified on that and outside IBM. And I think what I really learned through that and that kind of introspection was my own success actually really wasn't that important. When you look at it, actually, the fundamental thing is how do you support and how do you coach the teams around you to be successful, right? You know, that old adage of always hire people smarter than yourself, you know, definitely rings true for me. I, you know, lucky enough in IBM, we've had some incredibly smart people in a lot of our different areas, right? The, the sort of quality we've had coming in the door over the past 18 months has been amazing. And it's really about how do you help them succeed? And I, and I think if you took me 10 years ago, I was very, very competitive, always had to be, you know, the winner always had to be the best. But actually, when you start to pivot that to be a really good leader, it's not about making yourself successful. It's about making those around you successful, right? Because that's what drives a good business. And, and so sure. I guess that's my learned lesson. We are getting older, Phil, because that really resonates with me. And I think mm. there is something about there's a certain birth milestone. Some people get there earlier than we do and we read about them, but some of us naturally mm. get there. And I'm glad we're both there. There's something about watching your team be successful, which is immensely satisfying. And I find it through kids as well. You are spending a lot of time in AI and this technology, whilst I don't know if it's still emerging, is certainly maturing quite quickly. What is AI for you? Because we've got robotics, we've got machine learning, we've got pure automation. What is AI? Look, I think it's a good question because it's actually difficult to judge in this market sometimes because... If you're a software product maker, you know, if you're a software house or, you know, if you're a services company, if you don't stamp AI somewhere on your product, then, you know, it feels like it's outdated already, regardless <laughs> yeah. of whether it actually uses any AI or not, it seems. You know, so, you know, there's definitely different categories, right? I think if you look at AI stands for artificial intelligence, right? So it really should be helping you make decisions using, uh, you know, using data right? And helping you make decisions, right? So providing you more intelligence that you've had. And we very much take the approach of IBM that you've got ethics at the core of this, right? Okay. So for us, the first purpose of AI is to augment human intelligence, right? Okay. So this is how do you augment the humans in your organization so they can make better, more informed decisions, right? Because a human cannot ingest the level of data that and, and, and interpret it in the same way that artificial intelligence and even basic analytics can, right? Okay. Uh, so, you know, the second would be that data and insights belong to their creator, okay. right? Or the human that they refer to, right? So, you know, where is the ownership of those data and insights, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say IBM is not a company that harvests our clients' data, right? So we do not do that, you know, very, very, very clear statements from us, which can't be said of all providers, right? And, mm -hmm. and thirdly, the big one is that, so the, you know, whatever new technology you use and, and AI in particular must be transparent, must be explainable. 
Okay. Right. And that's really, you know, if you see this gold rush that's happening right now towards having AI on every box, right? Having AI on every piece of software, right? It's already well into our personal lives, right? And and in the workplace, it's driving just as hard. Wow. You know, that transparency, that explainability, you know, that's going to be become fundamental to the success of businesses as we go forward. Yeah. Because your reputation is on the line based on how you're using that data. We've seen the court cases in America. We've seen the open discussions around what people are doing with our data. And mm. AI just takes it to the next level. I know a lot of AI and robotics is playing in the security space to keep us secure because the threat actors have no compulsion on how they're going to use the data. So surely there is an ethical argument, but there's also an argument to protecting the boundaries. Where's the gray area that you seem to be worried about? So let me just come back to one part of your first question as well, right? So I just want to mention robotics, right? So robotics on its own is not AI, no. right? Robotics is a tax execution engine, yes. right? That's, that's all it is, right? And, you know, it's when you start combining those technologies like AI into those workflows and into those processes that you really start to see value. So just one of the things that I've seen a lot of the time is a lot of, I would say, dumb robots implemented within organizations, yes. not really actually taking and looking at the process holistically and seeing actually how should we change that process? Right? That's your first question, right? How are we going to change that process? Your second question is, how can we make that process intelligent? So we have a phrase called intelligent workflows in IBM, okay. where that is how we look at a process. You want to create an intelligent workflow end-to-end from the customer all the way to the outcome that they're seeking, right? So okay. just wanted to introduce that intelligent workflows topic because I think robotics often gets grouped in with AI. Plain robotics is definitely not something I would classify AI. They typically don't hold any intelligence. No. So it's about the combination of technologies to get a business result. So intelligent workflow is the start for the transformation process. It, it is. It's, it is. it's a foundation so, layer. Yeah, and really you start from a customer perspective, right? So our wonderful creatives and design team in IBM IX, Interactive Experience, are really experts at putting together what does that customer experience look like, what does that employee experience look like, and then layering underneath that, what are the intelligent workflows you need to make that possible, and then layering underneath that, what's the data and what's the platforms that need to be available, mm. how does that mm. data need to be governed, managed, and then finally, laying underneath that, what are the applications? What's the infrastructure? What's the tech? And that, you know, the last thing you're looking at is what's the tech? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the natural inclination for customers is we want to get something quickly and they skip those fundamental layers, don't they? Is that a problem that you see? Yeah, it is. The amount of programs I see that aren't driven by the actual value stream of the business, right? That are more tech driven and we've got some fancy tech you know we've got a new hammer let's go find a nail right yeah. you know so so yes we do we do see that an awful lot and it's not like the things i'm talking about take a lot of time right once you've prioritized what the business value is that you're going after then to get to a point where you're actually revitalizing a particular process actually getting something into production trying it out testing it and getting it ready to scale i mean it's like eight to twelve weeks Okay. You know, it, these things can be done in short cycles. So, okay. you know, you don't need to spend a year in analysis paralysis to go and create business value these days. I made another note there earlier, the multi-year projects really succeed because the horizon is too far away. 
And now mm. you've just spoken to the 8 to 12. I really like the 8 to 12 idea. Mm. Is trustworthy AI really a thing in South Africa? I mean, globally, why should we care about so, that? I think it's a thing everywhere. And it's actually not a thing that enough CXOs and CFOs are really thinking about, in my view, or CIOs. It's something that should be top of mind right now. And I'll give you a couple of examples why it should be. We live in South Africa, right? We are a developing and emerging nation, right? We are trying to promote social mobility. We are trying to promote economic mobility. We're trying to lift a whole section of the population. Well, fundamentally, the way technologies like machine learning work is they use the past to predict the future, right? Yeah. So if a technology uses the past to predict the future, is that something that should be driving our social mobility, our economic mobility, our business growth? Is that something that you can just deploy and think change is going to happen in our society? I'm afraid it's not. So really, this is more relevant, I think, to South Africa and Southern Africa than it is almost anywhere else because of the transition that this country is going through. So South African business leaders should really be thinking hard about how they're going to deploy this technology to support that transformation, right? To drive this transformation, right? Not to maintain the status quo or even worse to go backwards, which yes. is really unchecked and uncontrolled. If you deploy a technology that predicts the future based on the past, that automatically says you're not really going to move forward, right? So let me give you a couple of, you know, a couple of, I mean, just simply if you look in the banking industry, right, and you look at how are loans granted and how are business loans granted, how are you granting loans to SME? If you're using technology, which is going to say, well, if someone's from this area, we have a higher loan default rate in this area, right? Or let's say that area is Orange Farm, right? Yeah. Let's say that area is Everton, right? And you've got someone coming out of there as an entrepreneur with an amazing idea, but they can't get a loan because the AI says no, because there's a high default rate in that part of town as one of the factors it takes into account. So you've really got to be careful what data goes in here. And the fact that wow. you keep the human at the center of all of these decisions, and you still understand the holistic human that you're trying to do business with. And I think that's so relevant for here in SA. So this is why... You know, not to mention the legal and ethical issues around that, right? Yeah. It's just bad business, right? If there's an emerging entrepreneur who doesn't have the kind of background and credit history and all of those things that the bank would want, and they go on to be the next major entrepreneur and make millions, you've lost an opportunity as a business. So it's pretty yeah. bad on that side yeah. as well, right? Yeah. I listened to a fascinating talk the other day on Kazi Economics and the informal sector and how much of an impact that has on our economy and how companies are struggling to take that forward. This AR solution seems to be a way where we can gather all of this data together in really big quantities and make informed decisions about things we knew very little of before. Would you say? Yeah, and, and, and there's some amazing startups and organizations across South Africa doing these sort of things, right? We as IBM, we look through our equity and that equity equivalent investment program. You know, we're lucky enough to be able to work with quite a lot of the startups in South Africa, supplying them with technology and consulting wow. and things like that to help them get a leg up. And some of the ideas and applications of AI in that space that I'm seeing are amazing, right? Are amazing. What do you think the biggest challenge 
our industry is going to face in the next five years whilst embracing AI? So there's five things that I talk about, right? If you bring up that. The first is one thing we've talked about briefly, right? Which is explainability. Okay. Right. So if I give you an example of explainability, there was a client of ours that was experimenting with AI in their HR process and using AI for making retention decisions about staff, right? So what had happened was they'd implemented this system that would give retention recommendations to managers. So this person is a retention risk. They might leave the business. They're important to us. You should go and have a conversation or give them some money or do something, right? Fantastic idea, right? And what actually happened, though, was the first time that they ran that and in the trials, they gave a recommendation to a manager, right? Of you must retain this person and, you know, they're a risk. And the first question a human being asks, the human being found his HR right, and said, well, why? Because I know this person and they're not a retention risk. And actually they're about third or fourth on my list, right? So they asked their HR rep why. Now, that's a perfectly valid question. Yeah. Now, the yeah. problem is... The HR rep doesn't know, right? So maybe the developer who wrote the algorithm understands what data, all of the exact data that went in together, how the algorithm is actually interpreting that data and how that decision was reached. Yeah. But a business person must be able to explain the outcomes of these AI-led decisions or what are the determining factors that mm. are included, right? Mm. And so that's mm. one of the challenges you've got with deploying AI. You know, that's a fairly... Straightforward example, right? So but, you said you know, you've got five. You've so given me one. Yes, right, so that's give... explainability, right? Second one is fairness. Much easier okay. to explain because this is all over the press, right? So this is where is the bias. And bias can come from a number of places in AI. It can come from the original data set. It can also come from how the algorithms are written in the first place. It can also, algorithms drift. They don't stay the same all the time. Yeah. So they have to be managed and monitored, right? Okay. And then lastly... The bias can come in how those outcomes or recommendations are actually used in operational terms. So ensuring that you don't have bias anywhere in that system is incredibly important. And we saw that with all of the facial recognition press, right? A business yes. IBM pulled out of for those ethical reasons, right? So fairness is absolutely clear. Next one, robustness. So let's be clear. There's a lot of threats out there from a security perspective. A lot of adversarial threats, potential incursions to keep systems healthy. I think you only hear about the attacks that get into the press. But let's be clear, every single day, large enterprises in South Africa are coming under adversarial threats, right? And you only hear about the ones that hit the press and, you know, organizations dealing with this every day. If you're putting decisions that affect people's lives into this technology, it's got to be robust. You've got to protect it. You know, next one I would say is transparency. So you've got to reinforce trust and in sharing information with stakeholders. Because if this, again, it's similar to explainability, but this is about how the stakeholders are varying roles, you know, how you can engender trust using this technology okay. right? rather than take away trust and create skepticism. And last one is privacy. I have huge questions around privacy, right? Where is the data coming from that these decisions are being made? What ownership okay. does the individual have of that data? How is that data kept safe throughout the entire life cycle? And that means from when it's being trained into production, what's the governance? You know, there are multiple questions around privacy and what is someone's right to the data? You know, if your bank turns you down for a loan, I doubt it with your level of income, right? Of course. Yeah. Uh, oh. But oh. Uh, so, so if you get turned down for a loan, you're going to ask why. 
you're going to ask, well, where did the data come from to make that decision? How did you get hold of that data? And you're going to ask, have you revealed this data to anyone else? Because I didn't even know you had that, right? Yeah. So a huge bunch of questions around privacy. So it's really those, if, if you're going to govern AI and data well, then those are the five things that you really need to think about. Outstanding. I like that. These challenges, explainability, fairness, robustness, trust, and privacy are sensible grounding principles that need to be in the practice. If you had to explain your AI focus for South Africa for the next year to your nan, how would you explain that to her? I think in terms of our approach, it's fundamentally four things, right? Start off by assessing the risk. Second one, implement the right governance. Third one, the operationalization, which is not easy to say, is key. And the last one is how do you guide your workforce and how do you get them used to and working with this technology in a safe way? That's really what I would talk about in terms of how we implement. You know, what are we going to be working on most in 2022? I think was part of the question. Yep. It's really about generating a lot more business value from AI and data than is currently out there in this market. Okay. So I see a lot of data science, a lot of that sort of work that gets to POC doesn't really get implemented after that. So that operationalization is not happening yet. It's, it's how you embed it in a business. But like okay. all our businesses are driven by process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that is the way organizations work. I think every business uses the words agile, everybody dynamic, but fundamentally at the core of it, there's process, there's technology that runs those processes, there's yeah. people that run those processes. Yeah. This is about how do you embed AI for the most benefit and where do you embed it in those processes, right? You've got wonderful platforms out there that you can go and buy, which will help you get there. And then you can embed AI within those platforms, right? So it really is about the operationalization and the education of the workforce, right? Okay. Because the, obviously the other big restrictor in this one at the moment is fear. Definitely. Uh, so we saw that in the robotics market. So we saw that in the RPA, mm. robotic process mm. automation market. We saw lots of pushback from the staff on the ground about, you know, the CFO would think, having 50 robots running their organization was a fabulous idea because, I mean, you don't need any empathy to deal with a robot as well, no, which is nice. No uh, smoke breaks, no leave, just run those little none robots. None of that. Yeah. But, you know, then in reality, when you get on the floor, that reality doesn't always happen. A lot of it's because of fear. And this is, again, I'll repeat, for us, AI deployment is about augmenting human intelligence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Helping us make better decisions, helping us get to better answers because... Quality data technology and AI can see the whole picture. Yeah. But then we've got to be the ones interpreting that to get business results. Phil, there is so much to talk around here. There is so much. We're just putting our toe in the water. I've got a couple of questions left. Most people don't have a budget line item called AI. Where would you pull budget from to fund an AI initiative like this for 2022? I definitely wouldn't create a budget called AI because then you're going to create a mini organization that is a hammer looking for a nail. Okay. You know, I would always start from the business strategy, you know. Start in the garage. Yeah, start, you know, in the garage with the business strategy, with the business stakeholders, along with the technology people (laughs) and really work out where the value sits here. Okay. Right. And really work out where those pools of value are And then the budget shouldn't be any different from the business budget, right? I mean, this is always what creates silos in organizations, right? 
you know, the business throws their requirement across the fence and technology goes, well, I haven't got the budget for that. And then you, you get in this battle, right? If you've got one group of people aligned across one P&L or one balance sheet or, you know, one project budget that are both business and technology to go and deliver an outcome in the AI space, you're much more likely to deliver successfully, right? I love that. I love that answer. Thank you, Phil. What question, if you were interviewing me about this, would you have asked? What question have I missed so far? So I probably would have asked, Phil, you, you, you keep on talking about the risks and, you know, and, and it all sounds highly risky. Should we do it at all? Maybe that's the question. Great. Should we be doing this at all? It sounds very risky and it sounds like a lot of pain and heartache for the CIO and the CFO. You know, my answer to that would be fairly straightforward, right? Which is business evolves and technology now moves faster you know, than it ever has. There will be other breakthroughs in technology as you go. And if you're not creating a dynamic organization that responds and make money and value out of these technologies, then it's probably going to be very difficult for you to survive another 10 years. Okay. Right. So my view would be, yes, you absolutely need to embrace it, but you need to do it with eyes wide open. And you need to really strongly focus on identifying the pools of highest value and then doing small things to get to those points and to get to those steps, right? And okay. if, you don't, if you don't approach it in that direction and you don't have proven methods that you're using to support this rollout, you know, scaled methods and governance frameworks that help you steward AI responsibly, and they've got to align to your organization's values, right, and your regulatory requirements, right? If you're not drawing on the experience, I mean, IBM, you know, we've done over 40,000 engagements just on Watson, our own technology, and many, many more on all the other AI technologies out there, right? So, you know, you need to engage people that actually know what they're doing, right? And that aren't experimenting with this for the first time. And you need to fast track all of that innovation with using, you know, the garage method enterprise design thinking into data and AI. And actually, if you search, you know, enterprise design thinking for data IBM, you'll find our method that is data focused for design thinking and AI, right? And you'll be able to see that and experience that. I think you can get some training on it. So if you're not using those sorts of methods, you're not engaging with people who have already been down this road and know the pitfalls, then you might run into trouble. But as well, if you're not embracing this technology, your competition is going to, right? You know, they are going to. And if you look at the size of the prize in terms of what this can do for the cost structures of organizations, what it can do for the pace of decision-making, right? What it can do for breaking down organizational silos in your business. And most importantly, what it can do for delighting your customer, right? Then you are definitely missing a trick. Awesome. Awesome. What are you most excited about from a technological release that's coming out of IBM in the next six months, specifically around AI? So I think we've got a lot of exciting things going on. And, and, you know, IBM, as you know, we get the most patents pretty much every year. I think every year for many years, it's a highly innovative company. You know, it's why I've been with them for you know, I think nearly 14 years now is because it's always an evolution. It's always a cycle, right? If I was to look at what really excites me in the tech space from IBM perspective, it's really how we look at what we call a data fabric in organizations now. Uh, okay. I think we've been through an interesting cycle of data lakes, data reservoirs, everybody trying to work out how to organize and use data better and expose it to the business and give the business more power. 
if you really look at it, I think we have looked and really come across the answer in that in our data fabric method and very well supported by IBM Cloudpack for Data, which I think I'm not a really a product guy with product agnostic in IBM consulting, but when I look at IBM Cloudpack for Data and the kind of breadth and depth of capability in that, and, and I think the analysts agree there's nothing else that covers the stage so well. Right. So, you know, for me, it's about that's the tech I'm most excited about. What I'm most excited about from a business perspective is just the amount of value that is on the table for our clients in data right now. Awesome. You know, uh, we, awesome. you know we talked about everybody talked about big data for a long time, right? Yeah. Like, big yeah. data must, must get access to big data and all this data. Yeah. And tell that. yeah, yeah. But don't care. Don't care. Big data is great. Yeah. But what you've got in your organization right now, sitting on your machines, the amount of value that sits in that data without even thinking outside is massive. And really, that's where my focus is. How do we leverage that data that you've already got to drive some real differentiated business results and some value? If you had a billboard stretching the N1 in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, and a road in George... What would the billboard for 2022 say for customers in South Africa with AI? Uh, oh, wow. You're asking me for a tagline. Uh, mm. So, you know, I'm definitely not as good as, as Nando's at marketing, right? Those guys are on point. <laughs> uh, but definitely there's better marketing professionals than me. Maybe I'd say that let's, let's deploy AI. Nah, you've got oh, me on this Carry on with that. Let's carry on. So, so let's, let's deploy AI to benefit South African society. Okay. That's what I'd say. Is there space in public sector for AI? Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, absolutely. I mean, the amount of data that public sector employees have to deal with, right? The amount of decisions being made there, right? You know, the amount of work and you look at our state-owned enterprises, right? If you can start really predicting where problems are going to happen in the system and in these networks, and if you look at some of the amazing things we're doing with organizations around computing on the edge, around what you can do now with 5G, which you could never do before, or with those sort of bandwidths, there are some incredible use cases across both our state-owned enterprises and, and public sector. Right? Okay. And yeah, it's... So it, this is not an exclusive field for private sector only. There's no, lots of use not. cases across the country. My last question, we're running out of time. We've gone over so much. It's been so interesting. Thank you for spending this time with us, Phil. If you had to give one piece of advice for someone who's towing in the water but might never cross your desk as a customer, what would that advice be for 2022 in AI? Start small. Go small. Love it. Uh, identify the business value of small. It is simple as that. And I guess the flip side of that would be as well, don't believe everything you read or that you sold. You know, that AI has become the new blockchain in terms of buzzwords. Yeah. And when you're choosing vendors, providers, consulting houses, choose one that really understands this guy. Right. That's excellent advice. The lessons don't have to be learned by your organization. People have already made the mistakes. We can learn from their mistakes. Phil Anderson, Business Transformation Services Lead, South Africa, passionate about South Africa and this continent. It's been like a sip of fresh water speaking to you. Thank you for re-energizing me, even though I'm headed into December where all I want to do is have a <laughs> beer at this time. 
I can't wait for you to come to the big smoke and visit us. Please give us a call. Come and visit Tech Central and share some of your learnings. And good luck with your team. I know you've got the salesforce.com team. I know you've got lots of different focuses because transformation happens in different areas. So wearing those multiple hats, good luck with that for 2022. May there be much success in growing this economy and growing our automation objectives within the organizations and the economy itself. From my side, I want to wish you a happy December. I hope you get some time off for yourself. And just thank you for spending almost an hour with us. So from me, Daniel Robus, I'm going to say goodbye. Brilliant, Daniel. Thanks a lot. Uh, Really good fun.